12. Renee not only can sing, she can administrate in the office. She is our new uh, school administrative assistant with Miss Barra and doing just a great, great job. And so appreciate her, uh, her ministry there. Have you noticed how opposite the world thinks from Christianity and biblical truth? Did you notice in our text, Paul says, Brethren, or now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you, what's the next word? Ignorant. Ignorant. Have you ever heard that phrase, ignorance is bliss? You ever heard that? I um, was curious where that came from. So did a little looking and found that a guy back in the 1700s, a guy named Thomas Gray, actually the year was 1742, he wrote a poem. And he should write poems because he was a distinguished professor of literature and poetry at Eton College. Now, Eton College is one of the colleges in the Cambridge University system, probably the oldest university in the world. And uh, when I heard that phrase, ignorance is bliss, somehow I'm thinking that had to come from somebody who had no education, who just felt like it was a waste of time. I mean, doesn't that make sense? That's what I thought. But no, it didn't. Again, distinguished professor, PhD guy. And um, here's a poem that he wrote. It's in t- I'm not going to read the poem. It's very lengthy. But the title is Ode on a Distant Prospect of Eton College. An ode is nothing more than like a lyrical, very feeling-oriented poem. And that's what he was involved in. And the last phrase said this. No more where ignorance is bliss, tis folly to be wise. It's foolish to be wise. It, doesn't it strike you as amazing that an educated man like Thomas Gray would write something like that. But I want you to know, ignorance may be bliss when it comes to statistics about the royals or the chiefs. But ignorance is not bliss when it comes to spiritual things. Paul makes it clear right here. It's not my word. I'm not trying to be disrespectful in any way. Trying to be honest. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Which is Paul's way of saying, Corinthians, I'm writing this letter. I'm on the 12th chapter. I know there weren't chapters back when he wrote it, but I'm a long way through the letter to you. And I want you to know you're acting ignorant about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I don't want that to be the case. Now, If you can go back about three weeks or so, maybe four, we talked about the first aspect of ignorance. And the first aspect of ignorance was missing the ultimate purpose for spiritual gifts. And that was, if you remember in a nutshell, building up believers in the faith. That's why God has given us spiritual gifts. It's not if you have the gift of serving that you help us pick up chairs on Sunday night or 
any other things that we do. We're so grateful for all those things. But ultimately, every gift has the ultimate purpose of being used by God through human instrumentality to build one another's faith. But that's not where Paul is going in verses 2 and 3, which is my focus today. In fact, the word ignorant is the Greek word agnaeo, and it, it, it means to not know by ignoring. And I got to thinking about ignorance. We can all display our ignorance from time to time, can't we? And um, I thought, I wrote down a couple of things. That you can be ignorant of something because of your age. We wouldn't take one of our first graders out of school here, put them in Miss Barrett's pre-calc class, and say, get it. They're not ready age-wise, understanding-wise, to get it. I guess another reason I thought of is that um, you might be ignorant of something because you've never been given the information to know. That can happen, although we're certainly in the information age, and it seems like we should be able to find out about everything based on Googling it, right? Finding out something anyway in that regard. So... That is not what Paul is talking about here. I remind you, Paul spent 18 months with these people in Corinth, winning them to the Lord, building them up in faith, and demonstrating his spiritual gift to them that they could use it effectively. But it's an ignorance, and here's what I wrote, to know, or excuse me, to not know by ignoring. To not know something because we ignore it. My classic illustration was I had my wife and all my sons out in San Francisco. We were on a vacation. Actually, we were at Brian Irving's wedding which wasn't in San Francisco, but it was close, and so we went to visit. <clears throat> and we went downtown, and we wanted to see Ghirardelli Square and all that good stuff down there. And um, so I parked our car. Parking spot. We went, we had a great time. Came back. No car. No car. The only time I've been in a tavern was on that particular day. It was the only place open, and it was right by where my car was parked. And I said, there was a car right out here. It's mine. Did you see anybody take it? And the guy said, yeah, I saw one of the city tow trucks tow it away. Now, what am I thinking? Why? So he said, well, why don't you go back out and look where you parked? So I walk out, and even though it was a parking slot, it didn't have a curb. And there was a sign. It wasn't right there, but it was up ahead enough that I should have seen it. 
and it said, no parking, residential driveways. It was downtown, and they had all these apartments and places up above, and real retail businesses down below, and they would pull in there. They had, like, garages there. Ignorance was not bliss that day. Ignorance was a classic case of ignoring a sign right there that I should have seen. That's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians and to us. Let's not be ignorant of spiritual gifts. And the first thing that I want you to see about this ignorance is they were ignorant of their condition. They were ignorant of their condition. Notice in verse 2, ye know that ye were Gentiles. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that the word Gentile can have two meanings. It could mean you're not a Jew. Okay? In this case, that is not what is meant. It means you are not a Christian. We might use the word heathen. You're a heathen. So what's Paul saying? He's saying, ye know that ye past tense, were Gentiles. You were heathens. You were non-believers. But now I'm writing to you because you know the Lord Jesus Christ. You've claimed that you want to live for him. The Bible is replete with this phrase. For example, in 1 Thessalonians 4 or 5, it says, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. There are other passages as well that speak to the condition of lostness. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be lost. I don't want to be lost driving around, but ultimately, and most importantly, I don't want to be lost when it comes to what's going to happen to Bob Francine when he dies. And the Bible makes it clear that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, the very God-man, will be saved. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So he's saying to them, You are not heathens. You are not lost anymore. And yet, what is clearly being said here is, you're acting like heathen in the church. You're acting like non-believers. Can we be in the flesh? Yes, we can. And that appears what was going on here. Um, And so you notice the next phrase He says, um, ye were Gentiles carried away, carried away. That has that idea. In fact, it's spoken of the Lord Jesus as it relates to Judas. Listen to Mark 14. And he that betrayed him, Judas, had given them a token, saying, whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he, 
take him and lead him away safely. The idea of being carried away when it comes to non-believers is the idea that Satan, when we are birthed, has us and he wants to, if you've ever gone fishing, he wants to, he's casting that line out to you with that barbed hook that you can't see because it's got some luscious thing on it that if you were a fish you really wanted. And he snags that fish. And when that fish is snagged, what does he do? He jerks it around like you've, if you ever tried to reel a fish in and they're, they're feisty. Boy, it's not easy. And that's the picture of what carried away here is. Satan loves. In fact, could I remind us that um, in Romans, it makes the statement that ye were the servants of sin. Literally slaves. You were slaves to your sinful nature, but now you are regenerated in Christ Jesus. The Lord Jesus has set you free if you've put your trust in him. So Paul is trying to very aptly here describe their condition. And their condition is you're born again. You've got new life in Jesus Christ. You've got the Holy Spirit living in you. And he's talking about the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. And he's saying, do not act like you were when you were in the lost condition. We are to be different in Christ Jesus. Secondly, not only were they ignorant of their condition, they were ignorant of dumb idols. A lot of derogatory type terms in this little passage. He says in verse 2, carried away unto these dumb idols. Idols. You know what the word dumb is there? It doesn't mean can't think. It literally means without sight. Without sight. I wrote this down. Dumb idols can't speak. They can't answer. They can't respond. They can't give direction. They can't give revelation. They can't give any authoritative guidance. They're basically nothing. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 10, you remember Paul says, idols are nothing in the world. They're nothing. And the importance here is that they understood or they needed to understand that their old way of living, their old worship toward idols, was not to be in any way, shape, or form in their lives as new believers. Now, I don't think the idea here is that they were bringing idolatrous objects into the church. Chapter 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians is is one of the most thorough treatises of spiritual gifts in the whole Bible. And what Paul is wanting them to see 
some of their old ways of worshiping were being brought into the church and should not be the case. In fact, um, in Galatians 4, the Bible says, How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which is by nature, um, which by nature are no, N-O, no gods. Ephesians 4 says, Vanity of their minds, understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is now in them. Do you see that the picture here is a picture of a group of believers receiving the gifts of the Spirit and yet they were using those gifts like they used to worship without any gifts at all in a very um, emotional ecstatic, feeling-oriented way and not in the truth of the Scriptures. In fact, notice the end of verse 2. Even as ye were led. Again, there's that idea of lost condition, Satan controlling you, even though you are in the church of God, you are acting like you were before. Um, Can you imagine that if maybe some of you have been there before been in a church where the service is very chaotic people standing up and yelling and hollering and, and anytime you hear the word holy rollers um, acting terribly out of control. Nobody seems to know what's going on. Has anybody had that experience? Anybody here? Okay, a few of you have. I can't say I have. But I've heard about it. I've read about it. I, 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 heard, I read another phrase this week that caught my attention. It's been a long time since I heard it. Um, in studying this passage, somebody was saying that uh, the statement was made, I was slain in the spirit. You ever hear that phrase? Slain in the spirit? And this Baptist preacher said, you may have been slain, but it certainly wasn't in the spirit. (laughs) And really, what was going on is that they were acting in such a way that, and you know, you know the ending here of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. You know that chapter 13 is all about, wait a minute. You get enamored by your gifts and you don't have any love. Let me tell you something. You are worthless. Chapter 14 reminds them of the importance of using gifts to edify others. In fact, um, in... The, um, 
I lost my place here. Um, oh, at the end here it says, I will, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. That is um, verse 15, uh, not of chapter 12, but later on in Corinthians, and that's the, that's the verse I was, or the chapter I was missing. But listen to this, what it says right after that. Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? Look with me in chapter 14. I think that's where I'm at. Yeah, I'm sorry. Chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians is where I was uh, quoting there. Look with me at the end of chapter 14. How clearly the word of God speaks. For God is not the author of what? Confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. And I, I think it's important to understand. In fact, in chapter 14, verse 40, it makes this statement. Let all things be done decently and in order. That's the God that we serve. A God of order. Do you think a God of order in our universe wants us in the church to act in disorder? Not a bit. Not a bit. How important it is that you and I understand that the spiritual gifts that God gives are to be used in a very sensible, practical, content-oriented way. It's not, oh, I got a spiritual gift and I want to show it off by all my feelings and ecstatic utterances and all those things. All that craziness, that's not what spiritual gifts are about. That's why Paul is so concerned about their ignorance. Their ignorance. Here they are acting, bringing in old ways of worship into the church at Corinth that Paul had founded and established. Thirdly, not only were they ignorant of their condition. And ignorant of these dumb, silent idols, these things that they were doing from the past. But the third thing I noticed, they were ignorant of Satan's deception. Look at verse 3. Back in chapter 12. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man, speaking by the Spirit, capital S of God, calleth Jesus accursed, anathema. And that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. It seems very clear that Paul is saying there are two tests of the usefulness of your spiritual gifts. The first one is I I would call kind of negative, and that is, can you imagine, what is Paul addressing here? He is saying there were people in the church at Corinth standing up, believing they were speaking by the Spirit of God, 
calling Jesus accursed. If somebody in here did that, we would shut them down faster than that. And if it was the pastor, we'd leave and get out of here. It sounds absurd, but isn't it interesting how Satan wants us in our lost condition before we're saved to bring things into our saved lives? Thinking, for example. God wants us to think biblically. He doesn't want us to think in a worldly fashion. That's what Paul is alluding to here before he gets into the specific gifts that are talked about here a little later on, verse 4 and following. He wants them to understand that spiritual gifts must be exercised with wisdom, not exercised in emotional foolishness and ignorance. We must be discerning, distinguishing Christians. I remind us that Satan is constantly roaming around outside the church and inside the church. Seeking what? Whom he may devour. Wanting us to take worldly, sinful practices and bring them in the church. Do you see that happening today? Can that happen in churches? I think it's happening all over the world. I think it can happen in the venue or the avenue of music. Bringing music into the church that sounds like worldly music and saying, no problem, music's amoral. Music is not amoral. Without words, music conveys. And you can study it out, check it out. In fact, there's a tremendous, I have it on a cassette tape. Some of you don't know what a cassette tape is, but um, I have it on a cassette tape called Music and the Mind by a Christian guy who was a professor at the University of Indiana. And he talks about the significance of what music does. That's really an application of what Paul is talking about here in these first verses of 1 Corinthians 12. How discerning and alert we need to be. You know one of the biggest things that personally I see happening in churches is that churches want everybody to be comfortable. Right? Come as you are, be as comfortable as you want to be, and you can really enjoy church and get a lot from God. Doesn't it seem that that's all about me? Don't we come to church to hear about God? You know, I don't find anywhere in Scripture, in the Old Testament particularly, when God's people came before God, they weren't concerned with what condition they were in physically and spiritually. I told you a long time back I was at an ordination and the question was asked of the ordinate, 
what is the greatest attribute of God? And we kind of had a disagreement. Some of us felt love, some of us felt holiness. But then somebody said, but do you notice what the angels are always recorded as doing in the scripture in heaven? What are they doing? Bowing down saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's his holiness. We ought to be concerned about God's holiness and our holiness. That's what Paul is addressing here. You guys, you Corinthians, you You've got spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit's given them. You know what's worse than getting a gift and not using it? Getting a gift and abusing it. That's what's being addressed here. You say, Brother Francine, we're not holy rollers here. We're not acting that way. I know that. But I do believe that we've got to be so careful about biblical truth that we don't in any way let worldly philosophy, worldly systems, worldly ideas become the way we think. You know, I've seen churches get very business-oriented in their financial practices. You know what the world says? Borrow money. I told you our bank comes by. They used to. They've kind of quit doing this. But they used to come by with one of the vice presidents and say, Brother Francine, we look at you as like a small business. I'm sure you need money from now and then. We've got a great deal on loaning money right now. You know what? A church shouldn't be borrowing money. Shouldn't be presuming on the future. That's the danger. And I realize that is a difficult topic, but if Dave Ramsey can make it popular more than a BMW, seems like we should be able to talk about it in church, doesn't it? You with me? I don't hear you. Ask yourself, is it biblical? Oh, no man, anything but to... Love one another. All I'm trying to point out, this is not a message here about borrowing money, but it is Paul's example and Paul's admonition to the Corinthian believers. Don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant of what God's purposes are, what God's gifts are for. Building up people in the faith. Helping them. To become Christ-like in all that they do. Did you notice in verse 3, the word is accursed. And I kept thinking to myself, how in the world could even at a young Corinthian church, how could they, anybody, ever get up and call Jesus Accursed. Doesn't that hit you as unbelievable? That couldn't happen. Got to be an impossibility. This has got to be some kind of exaggeration. Then I got to thinking, if you and I went to Deuteronomy, and I don't think I'll have us turn there, but 
Listen to what a phrase from Deuteronomy. He that is hanged is accursed of God. The Jewish economy and the Jewish system in the Old Testament was anybody who was hung on a cross had to be there because they were what? Accursed. What is the big obstacle for Jewish people today? How could the Messiah that they're looking for be a man who was hung on a cross? When the, when the, the Old Testament says they're accursed. How in the world could that be? Can you see the challenges? Can you see how easy it is for old ways of thinking to be brought into and take the place of Bible truth? How easy it is to be going down the path and all of a sudden something happens and we start just straying a little bit and eventually we can get so far off course. Notice also in verse 3, there's a positive test. Where it says, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. You say, well, wait a minute. What about there in the Gospels? Where they said, where Jesus says, many of you will say unto me, Lord, Lord, in that day, but I never knew you. Because it's not about words here. It's about heart. And he's saying that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord or God, but by the Holy Ghost. If you want a good way to talk to somebody that's involved in a cult, just ask them one question. Tell me who Jesus is. And they'll name all kinds of things, won't they? Do you realize that one of the big struggles in the New Testament was a thing called Gnosticism? You know what was the root of Gnosticism? separating Jesus the man and God. They're not separate. They're one. The God-man, we say, don't we? What is Christmas about? The incarnation. God coming in the form of man. One. And yet, we live in a day and age when you'll hear all kinds of things about who Jesus is. He was a good man. He was a good prophet. He was a good teacher. He was a great example. And the list goes on and on and on. But God is saying, God's word is saying, be so careful. People can use words, can't they? What group is it that now, I forget, I think they were, they used to be called maybe Jehovah's Witness, and now they're called the Community of Christ. Am I right on that? I think that. I don't have it in my notes, but I think that's right. They changed their name some years ago, and they call themselves the Community of Christ. Ask them who Christ is. Who is Jesus? Isn't that what we're... We just had our revival, and what was our theme song? Jesus is still the answer. He's the key. He's the key. So in all of this, Paul is admonishing them and encouraging them that counterfeits 
can abound in the church. And don't be sucked into being a counterfeit in any way, shape, or form. Satan would love to just get us off track a little bit. Just get get us moving in a direction that doesn't seem so bad, seems okay, seems minor, insignificant, and yet, oh, where that can lead. When you think about some of the denominations today and how far they've gone and where they have gone, it ought to concern us. And really, Paul's admonition here to us, before he gets into the um, same spirit, same Lord, same God, verses 4 through the rest of the chapter, um, is for you and I to be keenly discerning about who Jesus is and why these gifts are given and not to in any way let these gifts become a problem. In fact, one of the observations that I have seen is people wanting a certain gift that God hasn't given them, trying to be something they are not. Or worse yet, somebody thinking their gift is the most important gift and they get a spirit of pride about it. A lot of ways Satan wants to deceive us, isn't there? A lot of ways get us off track. Get us to begin believing the wrong thing. That's why in 2 Corinthians, boy, this verse I quote every week, multiple times, casting down imagination and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We talk about that verse a lot. That's what Paul is saying here. Don't be ignorant. Understand your condition. Your condition is you're born again. You're a genuine believer. You're not a heathen any longer. Understand that those dumb idols, they were meaningless. They were nothing. Be so careful about letting vanity become an important part of our lives, not even realizing how vain and empty it is. That's why Ecclesiastes is so important. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, saith the preacher. What was the conclusion in Ecclesiastes? Fear God. Fear God. Trust Him. Are you manifesting your gift today? If you're a genuine believer, God has gifted you. And we're going to look at some of those in the weeks ahead. But the importance is, are we using God's gifts with God's spirit as our guide? I find it interesting that how does the Holy Spirit speak in a still, small voice doesn't yell and scream and rant and rave good reminder to us 
to be attentive to that still small voice. A good reminder that it's not how loud or forceful we sound in what we do, but exercise our gift in the spirit that God would have us exercise it. Walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let's pray. Father, thank you today.